0: LinkedIn is different from other social media because you can build true relationship because you can check their background right education background and career and most of the time it's real right they cannot fake or hide behind a fake profile yeah it's quite easy to tell so I find that is the most valuable thing to me in fact my entire life now has changed because of LinkedIn the business that I've gotten I'm paid for speeches, university pay me. I get my executive coaching client without really doing selling just because of my articles. They approach me and they want me as a coach. So, LinkedIn can bring you business opportunity, valuable network. I call them high quality connection.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 112, part two of the So This My Wife podcast. I'm your host and producer, Lingya. And today's guest, who's back, is Eric Sim. Now, if you haven't already listened to part one of Eric's story, please hit pause on this episode. Go back and listen to that first. Because in part one, we learned about who Eric is. He grew up with an illiterate mom and a father who ran a prawn noodle hawker store. Eric often helped out, so he would go to school smelling like prawns. He was shy, didn't have any social skills, felt his mathematics, English literature, and history papers bombed his first job in FX sales, and then he became the managing director of UBS. How? Because he worked really hard. He knew the importance of networking and so many other things that he did, which you will have to listen to part one to find out. Now, for part two, we learn about why Eric left his high-flying job as a managing director, how he became one of LinkedIn's top influencers in Singapore and China With 2.9 million followers. His thoughts on the importance of having a second career, personal branding, his journey in writing a book and marketing it in English and China, and so much more. Also, if you haven't done so already, please do consider subscribing to the Steamy newsletter. It's a weekly, and I share about the tools, frameworks, and stories from successful people on how they've built their lives, personal branding, and also how we can prepare ourselves for the future of work. Now, are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. So given that you are so successful, why did you decide to leave investment banking?
0: So I thought if I continue to work, I would make a bit more money. But what am I going to do with that? I'm not going to buy a bigger car, bigger house, you know. <clears throat> I'm still eating in the hawker center half the time. <clears throat> and but I wear almost the same thing every day. So there's no need to buy clothes.
1: The blue suit.
0: Yeah. So how can you live an interesting life? Our life, the life 1.0 is you study hard, get a job, buy things and try to be happy from buying these things, right? But those material possession, once you have it, you realize that the enjoyment is not very long. You buy a nice car, maybe enjoy it for a couple of months. After that, you're worried somebody scratch your car. You buy a big house. If you are sad and miserable, you come back to a big house. It's not going to help you also. So how can you make your life better? I think is to make an impact, help other people. And sometimes you don't need a lot of money to be happy. But of course, don't need a lot of money. I still have a decent amount of money from my investment and from my years of working.
1: So what did happiness look for you then? Because you said you left Investment Bank into a Portfolio sort of career. What that looked like?
0: Portfolio career means I can do all the things I like if I like to give a speech. Writing on LinkedIn doesn't pay me much directly. Giving a speech, I get paid if it's a keynote speech. But if I give a speech to a non-profit organization, sometimes they just buy 100 copies of my books. They don't pay me. I don't see the money. You know, the books are given to attendees. But when somebody comes to you to say, thank you for your article, thank you for your book, it makes me feel good that I make a difference to people. And there was once I I was at a chicken rice store. After my gym, I go to a specific chicken rice store in Raffles place. It's called the Arcade. I've been patronizing it for 10 over years. In front of me was a man. He was wearing office wear, young man, white shirt, tall. When turn, he turns, to order the chicken rice, and the chicken rice cost him five Singapore dollars. He checked his wallet, he only got three. So I'm thinking, maybe this guy really got no money. Not that he forgot to bring. It's very strange from the way he looked. He was expecting it to be $3 because I think in neighborhood stores, chicken rice is only for $3. So it's five. It's an embarrassing moment. There was kind of a silence, the owner looking at him. He looking at the owner, don't know what to do. So I just take take out $2 note and I give it to the store owner say, okay, I cover for him and then settle. He was happy because he got his lunch. I was happy I helped somebody. The store owner was happy because the queue can continue to move. Otherwise it gets stuck. And this $2 is well spent because I got to tell that story over and over again. If I had used it to buy a bar of chocolate, that the enjoyment you get is only for that one minute eating that chocolate. But this is there for me to remember that I make somebody's life better. He wanted to pay me somewhere. I said, forget it. You know, It's okay. Enjoy your lunch. So we didn't exchange contact. I said, you don't need to do anything for me.
1: I love the point you said about how I get to tell this story over and over again because it resonates with me as a content creator where I realized that, yeah, every single part of your life you're constantly on the lookout oh this could be a story let's take a picture and then you think how can I weave it in can I retell it oh it's been three months let's say it again yeah this entire journey for you started way way earlier back in 2015 again clearly a very momentous year for you yeah you were in Hong Kong Chinese New Year you wrote your first LinkedIn post but you were still MD at the time so why did you feel like this was the time to write when you were nervous as well
0: yeah, I always wanted to be a blogger. So one year before that, I asked my blogger friend, she was a food blogger and said, Hey, I want to write a blog, how use WordPress. I said, what is WordPress? That's all she helped We use WordPress, I Got no clue. So I gave up. And one year later over Chinese New Year in Hong Kong, I got, we got three days of holiday and I didn't come back that particular year. Normally I come back to Singapore, but I really came back for Christmas, which was just a month before. So I decided, why don't I write a LinkedIn article? And I want to write about learning. I said that I failed my mathematics. So from then on, I felt that I should learn. So every year I learned something. I wrote about that. And to my surprise, there were like 70 views. I said, why would 70 people want to read my article? Although there were a couple of like maybe seven likes, some from people that I do not know. I was overjoyed because any article that I wrote in school, only two views, my teacher and me. And neither of us liked my article. So I continued writing because it gave me some encouragement and I wrote every week for the last eight years.
1: Did you have an idea of why you were writing what the content pillars were? Or did it evolve over time? Like Like, for instance, I want to establish myself as a thought leader in the banking space. Therefore, I would talk a lot about the banking space and how it's evolved. But I have um, one way I want people to know me for personal branding. So I will always talk about that too.
0: I have no clue. Number one, I cannot write about banking because the work I do is very private. It involves sensitive information. So I intentionally stay away from banking topic. Because sometimes people can know just from the place I travel to. If I travel to Qingdao, they know what clients because some deals are already happening. So I cannot, on social media, let people know where I travel to or who I meet. People can triangulate the information. So I talk about career. And also, I was teaching in a university and then my students, they were always asking me for career advice. And I cannot do one-to-one because too many students. So I say that I'll write my article. Anybody who asks me, then I just give them my LinkedIn so you can read those articles the advice is there and i feel what i can share is my career journey what i've learned so that's what i wanted to share mainly to help young people to help my students initially was maybe banking finance in asia then after that slowly moved beyond asia because i find that people in london in the uk were also reading my articles and eventually now it went beyond banking and finance
1: you make it sound so simple, so easy. It's just whatever I feel like writing. You have 2.9 million followers. How on earth did that happen?
0: Yeah, because, you know, I teach in a university and really in a top university. So if I go to Cambridge, you know, some Cambridge students will add me. And when other students see Cambridge students adding me, they will also follow me. Then I've done like really, really like the 10 top university I've done Chicago, I've done Oxford, Qinghua, and Hong Kong UST. I was the adjunct associate professor as well. So with this is one, and also I give speeches for various organizations like CFA. And China is a big market. India is a big market. Yeah, definitely not just from Singapore. Singapore is too small.
1: Wait, you say that more and more people are aware of how important LinkedIn is. What would your advice be for people who are professionals you know thinking about maybe jumping on LinkedIn everyone seems to be talking about it but don't know how don't know why
0: yeah LinkedIn is different from other social media because you can build true relationship because you can check their background right education background and career and most of the time it's real right they cannot fake or hide behind a fake profile yeah it's quite easy to tell So I find that is the most valuable thing to me. In fact, my entire life now has changed because of LinkedIn, the business that I've gotten. I'm paid for speeches, university pay me. I get my executive coaching client without really doing selling just because of my articles. They approach me and they want me as a coach. So LinkedIn can bring you business opportunity, valuable network. I call them high-quality connection. It opens up your mind because you can read other people's article and journaling help you reflect and tell your own story, tell your better story. And a lot of time, you are made up of stories. Because if I ask you, how much are you willing to give up your memory? If I pay you a million dollars and then you wipe off your memory, you only can speak, but you don't know what you have done, which you'll be willing. Most people are not willing unless you are suffering mentally. But a normal person wouldn't give up their memory for millions of dollars. So we are made out of stories and by writing, you will be able to form that story. And the story is not fixed. Sometimes people feel the things happen to you is fixed, but no, it depends on how you tell. And the most important story is the story you tell yourself. And this has evolved. My life has evolved mainly because of LinkedIn and I'm meeting people outside of my industry and also outside of the countries that I operate in. And that you can't get. Even you go to a networking event, you meet in person, you are unlikely to meet people very different from you. Most likely you in the same city, same age group, right? Same industry. That's why there's a networking event. Now I'm meeting people who are on the creative side, different nationality, different age group. I was invited to go to Madrid to shoot a video with the dean of IE University Business School, all because of LinkedIn. I went to India to give speeches for cfa also because of linkedin they got to know me then they invited me i went to bahrain at that time i didn't know where bahrain is (laughs) yeah but now i've been there delivered the speech eat the best chicken brownie ever in my life and make some really good friends and also help me understand the gcc the middle east countries a little bit better by traveling there
1: i couldn't agree with you more that's how i discovered the power of LinkedIn as well. And one of my upcoming guests is the former U.S. House of Representative, who's Barney Frank of the Dope Frank Act. Oh, and That will have never happened if I wasn't writing LinkedIn and one of his really good friends reached out and said, I really like what you write. If I'm ever in KL, let's meet up. We did. And he said, I will make the introduction.
0: Wow. So yeah,
1: I would have never been able to speak to Barney if not for this LinkedIn So could agree with me. Haven't reached your level yet. Maybe one day I can go to Bahrain.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's life-changing if you write sincerely, giving value. But some people may use it the wrong way. If you use it to show off or to keep telling people about your achievement that you are speaking at this event, you got paid, you were traveling, then you will not benefit. It looks good. It looks glamorous, but you're not going to make good connection. You may get engagement on your post, but it is the relationship that counts.
1: But that line is so hard to find, right? I mean, this is the humble brag post. On one hand, you could say, you talk about the fact that you've run on LinkedIn and you get all these opportunities and that opens the eyes of everyone else. So mm. it's not really bragging. It's telling people this is possible, but it also could be because you're saying, look at me, look at me. Then you've got right now all the layoffs. I saw this one post recently where this person said, everyone's making it viral, but it's all a very, look at me, look at me. I'm going to help you. I can jump on the call with you, but are you really? I'm going to comment for further reach. What yeah. does that even mean? So how yeah. do you even draw that line because it feels as though LinkedIn more and more is like a personal diary. Yeah, And then <laughs> at the same time, you know, like, people would feel very icky as well going, I want to ship. but if I feel icky reading other people, how can I contribute to that too?
0: Mm. I think it's intention. What is your real intention? Is your intention to show off or is your intention to help? The post can be very similar, but it's the intention that people, I think, subtly they can tell. Plus, sometimes they meet you in person. And also you got friends, right? Now with social media, all the people are connected. So my test is, can you bring your school friends, your ex-colleague, your LinkedIn followers all come together and whatever story they tell about you is coherent. Or you are the type of person that LinkedIn people know you as one type, but your colleague is backmouthing you because you are a difficult person to work with at work. you previous classmate think of you different but sometimes it's quite easy to create an online persona
1: but then you also have to write to protect yourself because there is that whole privacy security part as well once whatever is out there is out there forever
0: yeah so I don't share about my family outing my children I don't share that so that's private you can still post but it's private a lot of people do not know like how many family members I have whether I'm married or not because that is private I think that is not necessary to tell people because I don't think that will help people in their career. And if you have a good intention, I think it will be okay. Then you just trust your own intention.
1: You said before to focus on three things, content, consistency, community. So I want to talk about community in particular mm. because I also found that to happen with LinkedIn. Mm. I wrote this post quite a few months ago and I said, do you want to meet new and interesting people? Mm. To my surprise, a lot of strangers said yes. And I had people coming in from Penang to KL, Singapore to... And they all came together just because of this random LinkedIn post. And I noticed that obviously you run your own gatherings. And I wonder, how did you first start? What has it been like for you?
0: I've been doing this uh, networking event since I was with City. I started with arranging just within my department. Just, my boss usually like me to take care of the juniors, you know, the interns, some of the more problematic younger colleagues. To coach them. So then I will match my younger colleagues with the more senior one. Then I progress to do cross department within city. Then after that, cross banks within the industry. And now I do just anybody who is interested in self development. And I find very valuable to introduce people. So hopefully they can do some business together. Now it's for selfish reason because I get invited to do coffee, meeting, lunch. I cannot do one-to-one. I don't have the bandwidth. So what I'll do is usually like once in three months, I'll host one event and those people who have invited me, who wanted to see me, then I put them all in one. So I get to meet them. Then also they get to meet each other and it's a good use of my time. That's why I have book events. It's also for that.
1: What are your thoughts in terms of how to make a successful networking event? There are so many of them. How do you make it something that stands out? I noticed one example you gave, which is asking people to bring a personal item, which I really, really liked and I've not used before. But I wonder, any Uh, other tips?
0: Yeah. So for networking, number one is I stagger the arrival time because I want to spend maybe 5 to 10 minutes individually with people. So I don't say, okay, 6 o'clock, everybody come. Then if everybody come around at 6 o'clock time, I got a problem spending time with people. So I usually stagger 5.30, one or two person that I want to talk business. Then the 6 o'clock, then those younger people, they cannot leave work early, they can come at 6.30, 7. And come early, will leave early because sometimes they have family. This they'll... is
1: assuming they come on time, right? Malaysians are never on time.
0: Yeah, it's okay. I mean, at least you stagger. With me, people tend to be on time in fact most of time they are early so that is one and i try to link up people so senior executive with student i try to introduce them and make them talk to them otherwise people is going to stay in one corner if you don't do anything three people are going to stay and most likely they talk among the people that they already knew right it's very difficult to go and say hi to people i break them up i will match foreigners with locals. somebody who's new to town I say, okay, this person might be a good tour guide for you. And then lawyers and bankers, no point introducing banker and banker. Lawyers and banker, hopefully, potentially, there's some business to be made. Landlord and tenant. Landlord could be office landlord. Tenant could be a company trying to find office space. And sometimes there are people who are single, right? Because people who come to me, they are all usually of certain quality and if they are single then I try to help them widen their network.
1: It sounds as though you know every single person who comes very well. Is that a prerequisite?
0: Yeah, yeah. Usually I know their background because with LinkedIn, you know, they have been following me. Usually I invite those people who have been following me for a while. So we would have some messages. And from the comments that they write on my post, I know what they're thinking and are they suitable to come for the networking event and then can they contribute to the group?
1: I suppose anyone listening here would be thinking, oh, I'd like to be on that list. What can I do? What are you looking for?
0: Yeah, so I look for people who are willing to help others. I look for people who are passionate about learning so that they got some interesting thing to contribute to the conversation. And it's also easier if they have read my articles or read my book. So among them, they have common topic because I try to pull people from different industry, different nationality, different age group. There must be something in common to start the conversation. Otherwise, such random people, how can they find each other interesting?
1: I love that you talk about the book because we have to talk about the book. I have it right here. It happens to yeah. be the same orange. <laughs> Thank,
0: you. Thank you for buying the book.
1: Well, it was actually gifted to me because of LinkedIn through a ah. fra- connection I made through LinkedIn oh. um, by this person called Mike Simp. There was oh. a comment a while back where people were asking, Are you brothers? But you're oh. not brothers from the same mother. Yeah. So <laughs> power of LinkedIn. I mean, like basically you come together, you meet people so on the different go. He
0: ago. sent it to you to Malaysia. He's delivered. He to- sent
1: it. Yeah. So basically wow. I thought, okay, the kind of feedback I always get when I tell people you should get on LinkedIn is, oh, but I don't know what to write. Or I'm very scared to write. Mm-hmm. I can't do it consistently. So I thought, well, one way to do it is to build a community. So why don't I just again mm-hmm. write a LinkedIn post and say, hey. Does anyone want to join this random group? It's free. Just mm. commit to every single week. One person would decide on the theme. Everyone would write, support each other. So yeah. he joined, and then he went. I like it so much. Can I give you this book? I wow. was like, oh, that's really kind because I was looking into this book right now.
0: <laughs> oh wow! And then we have this interview. Uh, yeah, Mike is really something. Yeah.
1: Yeah, really he knows kind. How
0: to connect, and he's sincere as well.
1: Yeah, and he's given this book to many other people too.
0: <laughs> so yeah. he should
1: definitely be on your list. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, yes, I do invite him from time to time.
1: So we have to talk about the book. Very interesting title. Huge fonts, small actions. What mm-hmm. is it all about? How did it come
0: to be? Because being? in my life, I was kind of a coward, right? So I don't really make a lot of big, big decision or take huge amount of risk. I realized that in my life is because of the small action I took. I took the small action of listening to my friend, Paul Leung, when he said, hey, you can write in unsolicited. So I wrote in unsolicited. If I didn't write in unsolicited, I wouldn't have gone to DBS. Maybe I didn't have a banking career. And the small action of writing that first LinkedIn article in 2015 over Chinese New Year in Hong Kong, It's also a small action that leads to now. And if I didn't write the article, I wouldn't have so many articles. Without so many articles, I wouldn't write the book. So it's all that little thing. And I thought maybe I should put it into a book. Plus, there are quite many of my followers, they want to read my old articles. I don't have a habit of repeating my articles, even if they've gone viral. So to find those articles from a long time ago, I wrote an article about Hawker Chan after interviewing him it gathered more than 90,000 likes. Wow. Okay. And if you want to find that article, you need to scroll through a lot back to 2016. You know, you need to scroll through a th- few hundred articles. And if you don't have a powerful computer, right, your computer will crash. <laughs> <laughs> so how can I help my followers to read my content in a more structured manner? So then I downloaded Five years worth of article. So I started writing in 2015, 2020, COVID hit. I said, I cannot travel anymore. I I travel every month, you know, usually twice a month when I was in banking. I travel almost every week. I cannot travel then, it's downtime. So I say that is a good time to write a book. Downloaded all the articles onto Excel, ranked them, find those more popular articles and find those articles that are not so popular, but Could be sometimes because of algo, it didn't reach a wide audience, but the content is good. Expand them, combine some, and some use, I use it to to write a full chapter. Then I organize them because some will be about networking, some about personal branding, some about thinking about life. So I arrange all, all of them. Then finally, I think, okay, it is good to have a book. My publisher said it will open doors for me. I believe him and it did open a lot of doors for me and also i enjoy making this entire book from the color the fonts the layout even where the page number is right if you flip the book the fonts i use even the little slash positioning the table of content yeah i did it and it's a very satisfying project for me
1: you want those people with an opinion on everything
0: yes yeah so I'm my publisher's nightmare because I want to have a say on every single thing
1: you said something interesting opening doors and that's something that has personal interest for me because I was approached to write a book mm-hmm. and so it was that whole question of oh is this the right time should I write a book people say open doors, but what does that mean really does it really give prestige for your thoughts on that?
0: Not, not prestige. I went to Lego to give a talk because of the book and they bought many copies. It was good. I mean, without the book, I wouldn't even gotten there. And also with the book, it's easier for people to sell you as a career coach, as, as a speaker. And also for me, it's putting all my thoughts clearly because I've read the book, the English version, I would have read like 20 times. And a Chinese version, I need to read another 10 times. So this make it really solid. Well, these are your story. It builds you. And you also learn about the publishing process, how a bookstore works, how a publisher works, who makes the money, you know, is it the printer? So that learning also help broaden your thinking. And with a book comes a bit more credibility. Yeah. So it's easier, but... Before you publish the book, you wouldn't know. It's difficult to guess what kind of doors it will open. So you have to really write and publish it first.
1: Did you ever think about self-publication? Because that's the eternal debate right now, right? I mean, like publication, even with a big house, ultimately marketing comes down to us. They wouldn't really push it that much.
0: Yeah. However you publish, you have to do the promotion and marketing yourself. Unless it's mainland Chinese book. My Chinese book is on a machine. I don't have to do it. The publisher is really doing it. So that is a different method of book. But for English book, yeah, you have to promote the book on your own. The difference between self-published and published by an established publisher is whether it gets to the bookstore or not. The bookstores are doing events for me. There's a Zor bookstore, it's a Chinese bookstore already did two events and Kinok is going to do one.
1: Kenny, you mentioned Kenny quite a few times.
0: Yeah, Kenny is a legend, right? He's a legendary book seller. He told me it's going to be a classic on day one when the book confidence. He already said it's going to be a classic. As how can you tell? He said that you know 30 years of experience in the book business. So it really will open doors because you get to be invited by some very senior people. So SLA, Singapore Land Authority, chief executive, the CEO, invited me to give a talk to his staff. With a book, it's easier. Without a book, sometimes it's like, what can you talk about? And then people do not know. So they need to ask you a lot. With the book, it's much more concise because there's a summary and they can also sell you internally.
1: So people are a lot more likely to read a book and understand because the content is also on LinkedIn. But as you said, it's harder to navigate.
0: But sometimes they don't need to read the book. They can just read the table of content and the synopsis. They already know what you represent. And is it worth asking you to come in to give a talk? All of that will have a ripple effect. Somebody from the audience will be able to do business with you.
1: Let's talk about just the English part first before the mentoring part. English part, what is the reality of marketing a book? I see you constantly giving book signings. We just had one. You change all your LinkedIn profiles banner as well, also on your CV to make sure that people know there is a signing. So clearly yeah. a lot of personal touch involved.
0: But this one is also depends on the bookstore. Kino Kunia said that you no, know, it's about time. The book has already been launched for more than a year. It's about time we do a book signing. Of course, there must be sales. Lah. If your book got no sales, <laughs> then they won't bother. It's off right? the shelf. <laughs> yeah, it will be pulled off the shelf because it's taking up space. Bookstore doesn't have enough space. Kinokuniya is huge, but it still need to display books that can sell.
1: So can sell is over 2000 then?
0: Can sell. Yeah, it must be selling a few thousand copies. Yeah. Mm,
1: okay.
0: You want to also help the bookstore. So if the bookstore arrange a event, if I don't promote it, then the bookstore's effort will be wasted. So bookstores are not easy to survive these days. I hope bookstores will be around because you know it's so good to go to the bookstore and be surprised by the range that they offer. If you just go to Amazon, it means you need to know what books to buy before you can go to Amazon. It may refer you one or two books based on your other interests, but sometimes the computer or the algo may not know what you really are. So by going to a bookstore, you are free. Then you can go into visual call. Maybe you always wanted to do design. Maybe you want to improve your writing. So let the bookstore wow you. And I think that is very important to keep. So when a bookstore hosts an event, I make sure I promote it well enough. Yeah.
1: And what about in China? Because it sounds like it operates very differently there.
0: In China, it's really a machine. So every week I'm on live streaming. So my publisher will arrange influencer to host me to talk about the book and they will ask the follower to buy. In two hours, they sell like 500 copies of my book. Wow. Yeah, that's the kind of power that the live streaming and the e-commerce have, And the views for the live streaming, 10 to 50,000 each time.
1: What do you think is the reason behind so much interest? And it's not just interest, it's conversion into actual sales as well.
0: Conversion into actual sales is also depending on the chemistry between the influencer and me. Mm. Yeah. So some are able to dive into the book, asking very insightful questions and can bring out the story in me. Then some may be more commercial. I just buy the book. Then maybe the conversion is not, not high because some, they are live streaming book. Every day is about one book. So they are immune. But some, they do like 10 books a year because they do other topics. So for the 10 books that they have chosen, they really selected carefully. So I did one with a Tsinghua professor. He reviews 25 books a year. So every month, he reviewed two books. So I was one of the book line of last year. He really brought up my story and there was a good conversion.
1: That's amazing. So it sounds as though Micro-influencers are the way to go, especially in China. And it's be those who care enough to actually do the work.
0: Yeah, these are not really micro because each viewing is 10,000 people <laughs> live listening in. Yeah, not, not too micro already. Yeah.
1: Mega. Mm. Okay, before we move on, one big question that everyone always has is the finances. So yeah. obviously you have JK Rowling. She's the only author who's ever made billions. Not that easy, honestly, isn't. What is the reality?
0: I think book, you won't make a lot from the book sale alone. So you can make money through uh, speaking. I also make some by helping brands tell their stories because you you have a book, you have more credibility. Some brands want to look for you. do work but usually the brands that i work with they are quite big companies then they can pay higher fees because i'm not selling small item things i help them sell their brand and they could be a financial institution so when they are associated with me sometimes they feel there is a trust my trust the trust that my followers have in me is transferred to them
1: one final question before we move on a very short elevator pitch why should people buy and read the book
0: buy and read the book if they want to improve their life, if they want to feel better about themselves and they can use this book to reflect because the book has got 66 chapters. So there are 66 stories. Mm -hmm. I would say one third of it would resonate with the people because this is what they have been doing. They will feel good. They are doing the right things. The other one is a confirmation. They are not so sure whether what they are doing is correct. So this will confirm so they can do more of that. Another one third of the book would be something new they have never thought of. I never thought I should have one restaurant to entertain. I never thought of downsizing my belongings. You know, my possession, my clothes. So there will be something new, or they never thought you can learn from the people around us, the tailors, the hawkers, the taxi drivers.
1: The story on the restaurants definitely was something new that I learned as well from this. And it's very easy to consume because you put a lot of personal stories. So very quick to go through. The book, when I was finishing it, I got the theme of you telling people you need to take a leap of faith. Take a leap of faith. Mm. I wonder, when was the last time you took a leap of faith?
0: I took leap of faith quite often, some smaller, some bigger. Going to China was one moving to UBS was another. Taking a leap of faith is to be a keynote speaker. When somebody pay me, I don't know whether I can deliver because it's a you know, huge amount of money. I trust that I can deliver. I went and it was, it was good. A lot of things I do is the first time, right? Brands paying me money to help promote their brand. But with authentic story, not just hey go go and buy this product. So it was also something new for me. So I took the leap of faith to say yeah, I will do it. I'll try, and if I don't deliver, then I will not accept the money.
1: What about your biggest regret then?
0: Biggest regret. I think I have many regrets. All of them are quite big. I wish I've taken more opportunities. There was one time in secondary school, I was in the technical stream. So we did woodwork and metal work. The Singapore education system at that time, they think, you know, we may be technician one day. I was quite good in my woodwork. My teacher asked me, hey, why don't you join this competition? It was on a Saturday. I wasn't confident I'm going to win the competition. I said, I don't want to waste time. So I said, no, I don't want to go for that competition. And also because my classmate was saying that those people who do woodwork, you're going to be making coffin in the future. So it's better to do metal work. I was was influenced by all this. I wish I knew better and I would have gone for the woodwork competition. Whether I win or not doesn't matter. But it signifies when the opportunity is presented to you, even you're not very confident sometimes, you just have to take it and try your best.
1: And it also brings me back to the very beginning of this interview when you said just don't follow the status quo.
0: Mm, Don't make average decision. If you make average decision, you're going to have an average life. If you want an interesting life, make interesting decision. Interesting decision means you don't go with the flow.
1: Well, Eric, what a fantastic note to end on. I know I've kept you here for a while, but we still have some questions left. I ask this question of every single guest. The first one is this. Do you feel like you have found your why?
0: I think I'm not there yet. I'm living my life 2.0. Just now, life 1.0 is study hard, find job, make money, buy things. Life 2.0, money is also part of it, but it's not the most important part. And it's not the only way to find happiness. So I thought we should do things that give you meaning and try to find happiness without going through money. Gather or gain a wide range of experience. Meet a wide range of people. So this is not finding my why. Because sometimes, right, life may not have any meaning. Because sometimes people, okay, we should find the meaning of life. But is there meaning in life? Maybe life is just living and making a few people around you feel better improve their life that's good enough did my father has meaning in his life he sold prawn noodle for 30 years every day is the same the way you arrange the store right the positioning of the planks when you close the door is exactly the same that is repeated day after day his meaning of life is after work after you close the store go to a coffee shop have a bottle of beer, smoke, then come back, rest a bit, watch TV next day. It's the same thing. Is that meaning in his life? I'm not so sure, but is it a good life? I think it is because he supported us and whatever he has, he used that money to pay for our education. So I, I don't think so much of finding your why or finding meaning.
1: Do you think about legacy then? What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind?
0: No, I I don't think of it. So when I die, it's gone. (laughs) So it doesn't matter what people think of me. I won't be around to know. I think more importantly is we live now, especially for my current stage of life, right? I should live more in the moment. In the earlier part of your life, maybe you want to live for the future. Develop yourself. Think more. I've done a lot of that. I continue to take classes. Now I'm doing typography, you know, learning about fonts. And that is already itself an enjoyment and what legacy I want to leave for people, no. I just hope that when I am older, then my students, my followers, if they have benefited from my book, from my writing, they can let me know.
1: What do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person?
0: Successful people, you, you, number one, you need to make other people life better. That's one. A successful person is also one person who is generally happy. You cannot be happy 100% of the time, but you're generally happy because you will influence other people. You affect the person next door. Money is, I think, only one of the many qualities. Society tends to use money to judge, right? Because it's measurable. But if this person is impacting his neighbors, his classmate, we can say that he's a successful person already. And also, if you keep developing yourself, then as a human, you are successful. Because we are not bound by our potential. Like when I was young, if you look at the 22-year-old Eric Sim, underweight, skinny, helping at the hawker store, do you think this guy got potential? Even I didn't think I got potential at that time. You think when I failed my English and getting 28 marks for my English literature, my English literature would have said, oh, this guy has a potential to write a book.
1: Your parents said you can inherit the store, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So don't be bound by potential. Sometimes, right, you cannot tell a person's potential. And I've seen many people around me. You see them, oh, they cannot make it. But given some guidance with a bit of work taking some action, they can totally change.
1: And where can people go to find you, support what you're doing?
0: You can follow me on LinkedIn. And that's where I'm most active. I'm also on other social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, but I don't update them very often. If you read my book, you can send me a message via LinkedIn or email as well.
1: i will drop all the links in the show notes as well so people sure. can find it. Yeah. Finally, Is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't covered so far?
0: I want to leave this message for the listener out there. Think big, start small, act now.
1: And that was the end of episode 112, part two. The show notes and transcript can be found at so soismywire.com forward slash 112-2. If you haven't done so already, please, please do leave a review for this podcast. It really helps this podcast to grow. And also, I only ever get to see numbers of downloads per episode. So I have no idea who's listening. Why? Whether you enjoyed it, you hated it, how I can improve, who you actually want to listen, the kind of questions you have asked. So please do leave a review so I know more about who you are and what you want. Or you can even drop me an email at at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Now, two more things before we wrap up. This Friday, we're releasing a very special questions from the audience episode with Eric Sim. Yep, you got him three times. Because so many of you enjoy Eric's story and you had questions for him yourself, which is answered. So you should stick on for that. And this Sunday, we have got a new steamy episode coming. And we are meeting one of the pillars of the Asian American community. He's built, along with his wife, a community of over 200,000 people from just a Facebook group. And now he's branched to becoming a VC into the Southeast Asian space and is looking to build an Asian Netflix. We talked about the importance of side hustles, investments, what it takes to build a community with trust as its core value, why Southeast Asia, and so much more. So if you haven't done so already, please do subscribe to see me and see you this Sunday.